Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another thought-provoking episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Adam, and this week I am rejoined with Spike Murphy Rose. And uh, welcome back, Spike. Howdy, everybody. And we we spoke a few weeks ago, a few maybe a couple months ago now, where yeah. I basically interviewed on uh, on on your GM. Uh, you know, sort of philosophy and, and what you think about the game and that whole thing. And, you know, I just kind of want to catch up with you again. And also Andrew's out again. So I needed someone to fill in. So thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> and it's a polite way of saying that I ranted about uh, the uh, BX or Beck me set for like an hour straight, but <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but before we dive right in, you know, let's, let's just catch up. How are you, how are you doing? How's your, how's your week last couple of weeks? Maybe uh, I'm doing good for the most part. It's been, uh, I recently had a contract in with a client, which has been like a, you know, it's worrisome because it's less work, which means of course, you know, everything's tighter and stuff like that, but it was also yeah. like a huge time sink, like way more than it was a it was a job a, a contract job where the workload had turned out to be like far more than what anyone had anticipated and mm. there was a lot of stress involved so it's also like a huge relief but i'm still like in that adjustment mode where like i'm you know looking for more prospects and stuff like that and have some you know balls in the air but it's still i feel like i should be like stressed about something and working a bunch <laughs> and <laughs> yeah uh but at the same time i don't want to be um, right. <laughs> That's yeah. uh, perfectly understandable. Uh, and just um, got my in-person game going again, which is kind of right. like that's uh, been a long time coming. And I'm still a little, you know, worried just because of the uh, COVID variants that have been going around, though everyone is you know, being careful and getting tested regularly. And a couple of folks in the group have jobs where they have to go through like, you know, regular testing and heightened screening protocols and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think we're in a pretty good spot, but, uh, it was just nerve wracking doing in-person games again. Uh, I've been doing some, uh, uh, paid DMing as well, like one-offs for uh, bachelor parties and stuff like that. Um, uh, and that's been like also kind of like a very new experience cause I'm going into people's homes and setting up and running a game for them and doing that in a very compact period of time. And also that was something I started getting going when it looked like everything was clearing up. And now that we're seeing COVID rates rising again, it's like, uh, how much longer is that going to be viable? But, uh, mm-hmm. but it's been fun though. Like, it's nice. Like I like, I like gaming with other people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's a big hassle, but at the same time, like it's, you know, one of those things that like when I, I don't regret it once I do it. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a workout, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can yeah. kind of dread it, and then but no, no one's ever come away going, "Man, I really wish I didn't do that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, there is this that that human energy that you can feel that you can feed off of in a way that that doesn't work any other way. Yeah, I've I've been enjoying doing these games with my students again and seeing their faces. I, I did a little game for my daughter and her little friends. Uh, and that was kind of nice. So I, I would like to do another in-person game with, with people my age. The last one I did was over at your place. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we, when we played with uh, Andrew and, and your wife and uh, that was a really fun game. I really enjoyed that one a lot. So, Oh yeah, that was a ton of fun. I mean, that was a classic. Well, I shouldn't say classic. That was an old. <laughs> it was just an <laughs> old, just an old adventure. Um, oh, but from great. from back during the '90s when uh, TSR was releasing a bunch of D and D adventures as box sets with these like companion CD soundtracks that went with it of like voice actors doing their best on a very low budget to like <laughs> do all these NPCs and monsters. But man, like it's like going to karaoke, you know, there's an oh, earnestness yeah. to it. That's just endearing. Yes. And it's just, you know, it's just that it's there. And, um, I, I think I talked about this before, but those are the types of things that help teach me how to DM, like teach me how to do the game and, you know, and even like the, the kind of culture that goes with it. Uh, same thing with reading like Dragon Magazine um, and uh, uh, comics like Knights of the Dinner Table and Nodwick and stuff, mm-hmm. which when yeah. I was a kid and like D&D was not popular anymore, um you know, it's kind of hard for people to realize now, like, because D&D has been just like the, the king of RPGs for the past 20 years since third edition. And it was, of course, the original RPG and the biggest one, but it really waned during the 90s. There, It had a lot of competitors and there were a lot of like innovations in like game design and gaming that came out a lot of really great systems. That's when you first saw like White Wolf and their whole World of Darkness series of games coming out, which were mm-hmm. huge and are still big. And just so and just so many different systems like that was the thing i remember growing up was that like i was one of the only people playing D second edition or first edition or basic edition any of the editions like there were these isolated groups of gamers that have been playing it since the 70s in a lot of cases that were kind of scattered and i i connected with a couple of those but otherwise like the the cool kids like everyone at the game shop and like I was lucky to have a very active local gaming community that had a long history. And so the game shop was a very happening place and a great place to meet other gamers, both my age and like older too. And so, you know, as a teenager, I had a bunch of friends, like gamer friends that were in their thirties, which certainly had my parents like worried at first, but (laughs) they were all great folks. I'm still friends with most of those people now. um, And, you know, they're all great influences, but yeah, like, D&D was not in vogue. People were playing, you know, Vampire or Fading Suns or Ars Magica or Shadowrun or, I mean, like any number of other systems. Uh, I was playing Mechton and Cyberpunk back, you know, before there was a video game. Uh, so it, it was not the popular system. I was one of the few that po- like still played it in the kind of like, was like in the active part of the community. Um and then third edition happened and just D and D everywhere. Like everything went D 20. The open game license was a master stroke because, uh, third edition D and D was hugely popular. Like I, I know in my community, it got people who had not played D and D in decades in some cases to come back to the game and try it again in the way that like fifth edition had this big influx of people like third edition was like that too. Um, and not to the same degree that fifth edition has been, uh, but third edition was huge. It revitalized the, uh, the game and it, it completely changed the RPG scene across the board. Uh, like, cause it was almost overnight. You saw, uh, just everything switched to D 20 system. And, uh, and suddenly you were struggling to find, 
like other games at the stores and just being released and people playing them. Um, so you would say that was mainly due to things like the open GL and, and the sort of streamlining of using the D20 system and yeah, uh, yeah. abandoning things like Thaco and, and just making the game generally more yeah. digestible and approachable. That's because even in fifth edition, which I find to be very approachable, like it certainly by design seems to be a, mm-hmm. a nice bridge between the sort of, you know, where fourth edition tried to invite everyone to play and th- third edition, like, okay, but let's not forget about our old players, you know, kind of thing where they, those, those two worlds kind of melded in a way that's really working. And I still see people, you know, who, who pick this game up for the first time, just really, really struggle to, to learn even some of the most basic concepts, like what proficiency means. Yeah. Um, maybe, Maybe I'm just particularly bad at explaining it, but even if I point to the book and I say, Hey, read this and, and listen, it's like this other thing in your real life, you know, either you're, if you're trained in something, you get plus two, otherwise you're, you're relying on your raw talent and that's your ability scores. And they, they nod and they look at me and they go, yep, that, that makes sense. And then I go, okay, make an attack roll. And they go, um, <laughs> I don't know if you have some insight. Why am I, why is this happening to me? <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's, I'm not entirely certain. I mean, people just in general, some people struggle with this stuff and, um, yeah. and I think it's like part of it is presentation too. It, it's, um, cause we both have had some like really veteran players, like not know some of these things like, like, or forget them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it happens all the time and it just, you know, that kind of gets back to what I was rambling about when I was on last time, where people get to a certain level of engagement with the system and then just stop. And that happens with a lot of people. And that was kind of, you know, the game kind of caters itself to that. Like you can get a lot of use out of the game with just like a very surface level knowledge of how it actually works. And you can yeah. still play D and D and have a good time doing it. Whereas like third edition didn't work that way. I mean, like, yeah, you could always just like ignore stuff or whatever, you know, do your own thing. And I knew plenty like, I knew some groups that did, but um, it was harder. It was a crunchier system. It was easier to, feel overwhelmed and to feel like you were missing things and stuff like that. And to like notice those gaps. Whereas um, with, you know, 5e, like, again, like you can have a very surface level interaction with it and still be able to be proficient. And that's because they got rid of um, system mastery is like the term that was like used for a long time, but that used to be considered a component of the game. And that was like part of the expectation of what players put into that. It was that like, yes, if you can master the system, if you can know it well, like you will be able to do better in the game and perform better. They wanted to incentivize that kind of behavior. And, you know, it works for some people, but of course, for a lot of folks, it makes it less accessible too. So they really got rid of that for 5e, it, for the most part. There's not a yeah, lot. Yeah, still a little bit. Yeah, yeah there's it, still a little bit, but yeah. Um, and so I think that's the thing is that like people are not used to being, you know, having to do more or being, uh, uh, you know, 
having to to work at it, having to put in that work essentially. You know, it's a little beyond that threshold for them. I don't know what the secret is to like motivate them or get them to, you know, better at being able to do that. Um, other than just like repetition. Um Yeah. Yeah. And and I know that I try to I've talked about this with you in private before, but like but mm-hmm. I'm especially now because I'm like the paid games I do, a lot of times I'm running for brand new players. Maybe there's one or two people that have played before. And so I'm having to explain this a lot and or explain the rules to new players a lot. And I really don't explain much of the rules. It's basically like you're rolling a D twenty and you're adding in a number that's gonna be determined by a stat, which I'm gonna tell you, and then maybe you know, your weapon or a skill or something like that. And I will always try and like, I I will ask everybody, like, have you like, what video games have you played? Or have you like, have you ever played D&D before? Have you played like RPG, like video games or mobile games or any like card games or board, like find out what their point of reference is. Um, You know, because almost everybody has something that can let them grok this and, you know, kind of, that that will allow the numbers, the mechanics of the game to speak to them. Uh, so I started doing a thing with with my tables, <laughs> like with with my class, where last week was the first time that I stopped lecturing and I just said, Okay, uh here are your tables. One person at each table needs to be a GM. You get extra credit if you GM, you know, and so there was a little incentive. A couple of people wanted to do it anyway. And we, we just said, okay, start playing because I know it's going to be a disaster, but like, so start, just start going. Right. And that's the best way to learn. And then, but I was really hands off for that first week. I just kind of want to let them do it. This week I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to add one element and I'm going to create a, a simple character, like a very basic character to add to the game. And uh, so I, so I made this sort of dimension hopping, uh, half orc barbarian. And so every day I play at a different table <laughs> nice. so that I can, so I can sort of demonstrate what role playing supposed to look like. I can mm-hmm. kind of help coach the GM from where I'm sitting. Yeah. And like, like I had one today and, and she was just, she was a deer in the headlight. She was so scared of me, you know? And I, I really try to be friendly. I, I try to smile. Yeah. I like, you know, know all that stuff. I really want people to feel comfortable. But I was like, come on, you should know this. And, you know, she wasn't thrilled to hear that. Um, but then I was able to compliment her on her acting. And then she she was kind of back with me. So that was that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kind of got somewhere. But I could tell that, OK, they just need to be immersed and they need to get that experience and and have to do it. They you, you almost have to have that moment of panic. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, the right way to put it, but Oh, absolutely, cuz every GM goes through that before their game. Yeah. Like everyone panics, you know. And you, you know, like you have gotten to talk to guys like Mike Shea and Guy Sklanders and you know, talk and they talk Thanks about that, by the way. how they uh, oh, yeah, like they talk about how they uh <laughs> Uh, you know, they still get nervous doing this stuff. Funnily enough, uh, speaking of yeah. Mike Shea, uh, AKA Sly Flourish, just today he released on his Discord for his patron, first Patreon patrons. Um, he does these whole like one page, like secret pages that are just kind of like lazy DM notes on stuff. And, you know, some of this is going to be in like the new book, but one of them was on like, one was on running one shots and one uh, slash single session adventures. And the other was on running like sessions for new players. And 
Um, and so we were all a bunch of us DMs were all there talking about it. And one of the things that uh, uh, I really liked that he suggested there is you want to have like you need your mole in the group. I don't think you put it that way, but I'm nefarious. Um, but you need like a player in the group who's kind of on the yeah. DM side. And like you always know there's almost always at least one player who's like really good with the rules or like who gets it. And, you know, kind of empowering them to be like, hey, like and, and encouraging them in a positive way. Like, hey, like I need you to like help me with this during the game. Um, you know, not a lot, but there will be times I'll ask you to help some of the other players or like with figuring the stuff out when they're having trouble with it. You need to be patient with them, but you know, I can really appreciate, appreciate that effort. Uh, I, I served that role for a long time in the kids game that was run at my local game shop because they had this, um, ex-marine named Dirk Ray, uh, who I swear had to be like a lich or something, but he would <laughs> like show up every Sunday to run the kids game at game a lot toys and games. And, you know, he, they charged five bucks. He'd been doing this for like 20 years and, uh, well, it was like 15, but you know, and whoever showed up, like he ran D and D for them or sometimes Mecton, uh, or some other systems, but usually D and D. And so, I was there every Sunday and, uh, uh, and of course I knew the rules inside and out. And so he had me be his assistant in the game. And it was literally my job to like help other people with their characters and their character sheets and figuring out the rules and basically like making so that he didn't have to worry about that stuff. And, you know, and it helped, it was easier for everybody else to have me like a fellow player helping them within that case, rather than being like, put on the spot by the DM and like having them talk across the table to you to try and figure it out. It's way easier when someone be like point to it on your character sheets and be like, Oh, okay. Um, and I didn't so, have to pay the five bucks because of that. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. Um, I, I had a similar kind of experience with a, a game store that I that I was at when I was younger, where uh, we worked out like a discount system and I was giving XP to the players for buying stuff at the store. It was really shady. Real, I would never do it again. But when I was a teenager, I thought that was cool. Um, so it, it, I want to jump back really quick to you talking about your in-person game, you know, to kind of also reconnect with what you're talking about with this, this game you did at the store, you know, the, and, and just kind of talk about what is the difference in the feeling between, you know, sitting across the table from people having that sort of eye contact and, and the presence of the room and, and how it sort of adds to the, let's say the ambience. Yeah. It, it's, um, it is more intimate uh, in that sense. Like you, and that's something I'm finding that I'm still having to get comfortable with again. Like it's, I like to hide behind the screen as much as I have this big outgoing personality. When I DM, like I'm a different person. I'm in a different headset. Like I have a compartmentalization, like kind of process I go through yeah. to like yeah. disconnect and kind of go in the DM mode and just like that becomes my priority for the next couple of hours is the game and you know game must go on and game comes first and uh uh and so it is way more intimate because the people are there you can read the body language you can there's all that part of human communication that you pick up on that is nonverbal that you're able to get there and so if 
things become intense, you feel that more. And that goes for like, even like the jokes and stuff can be like a lot funnier because you can all partake in it. There's body language yeah. involved and stuff like that. Like it's not just about emotionally intense scenes, but certainly for that too, you know, they're emotionally intense scenes are that much more intense because you know you're not just talking to each other which even even on webcam it's that still there's a disconnect there yes like yes you're interacting with somebody like on stage and it's uh it's intense um and i feel like i put more pressure on myself because of that like i feel like i really need to you know evoke emotion and get people's attention you also have more tools available. Uh, you have more senses to engage with. Uh, mm. you, you know, uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not burning incense and candles all the time, though I have done that on occasion. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, uh, stage magic is a DM's, like, best friend for a lot of the stuff. Being able to interact in person is a big, like, big deal because you can control the sound you can control the light you can like just having 3d terrain for people to interact with that's like far more engaging for them and for their brains than seeing an image on a screen is uh and so it's just all of it's able to be more vivid and impactful because of that but i also feel like it creates like a greater uh uh pressure like you don't have that space as a DM at like that you do on VTT where yeah. like, you know, you have that distance, that disconnect, like your players can't see that you're kind of like frantically looking around because they just totally like, you know, sent your whole adventure sideways and you're trying to like play it cool or something like that. Or, um, you know, or even just a moment to like chuckle to yourself at like what they're talking about or something like that. You know, that's something I find or, too. Or do a big eye roll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like kids see. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's all this stuff that like when I have the screen between me and them that I can kind of be loose about. And when they're mm-hmm. watching, like again, like you're playing a character as a DM. You're wearing a mask. And so, you know, you, you're not you, yeah. you are whoever the DM. And you know, and so part of that is always presenting a certain image, like the, the manipulation of your players uh, really never ends. Like you, they should always be guessing like any given conversation with you, like at any point in your life should lead to like, there should always be that wonder like, wait, was that a hint about something in the game? Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> you, you want that air of mystery as a DM. You want them to think, like they want you to think that you're inscrutable and a little chaotic and, you know, have this like dark streak or whatever that it just makes you like very unpredictable. So they're on their toes and they can never basically you want them to feel like the stakes are real whenever you're running. And so part of that is cultivating that like villain DM character. <laughs> not I'm out to get you, haha, but you know, right, not adversarial per se, but yeah. It, like more like wrestling nemesis, wrestling heel. Yeah, exactly. You know, you guys are amazing, which is why I had to become all powerful to crush you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it, but the, there is like a, a bit of wrestling involved in a mm-hmm. sort of mental way. There. I think that's a that's a good way of illustrating it. I uh, you, you're talking about creating these like sort of sensory moments and it 
it took me back to this book that my uh, one of my bosses made me read a couple of years ago called The Power of Moments. I, I forget who the author was, but basically what she what her argument was, uh, was that um, like what people remember most about various experiences, they're just picking out one or two moments from like the entire run. And that is the, like the story that they tell people. And it's like their main takeaway. And I think that that opportunity for novelty and that 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 memorable moment seems to exist in perhaps uh, meat space a little bit more than than otherwise, because I think that like with Roll20, I, I tend to have things that I do over and over and over again, like, OK, here's the cool map I made you. Here's the dynamic lighting. OK, let's spend. 15 minutes fixing dynamic lighting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, here's the music choices uh, and all that. And it's all great, but I wonder if it hasn't been distinct from like session to session in a way where I could, I could ask them five years from now, what was that? What do you remember about that game? Right. It's uh, it it is more of a struggle, I think on VTT uh, to get that wow factor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why I like did not like it at first because I do a lot with my in-person games. You know, I spent way too much money, uh, <laughs> at least half a grand on the uh, just the terrain for the final encounter in my Rise of Tiamat game. Uh, you know, but you still haven't finished, right? You're right. Still we still have the, the very last session to run, which I'm planning to do very soon now that we're doing in-person good. gaming again. Cause yeah, I built a crap ton of terrain for that. And I'm going to use it. <laughs> You're not going to use roll 20. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though like, it, you know, things are kind of, yeah, it, it, it makes an impact. It makes for these cool moments. Um, you know, but at the same time, like you can do that on VTT. Uh, I just think that it, it's a different medium. You have to figure it out. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you know, the I I have turned to animated 3D maps. That's been like a big thing that really those were fun. Yeah, that I really enjoyed. They took some work, but um, you know, there's not a lot of issues with them these days. I I have like one or two players who habitually have like you know hardware issues with it, but um. But yeah, like the 3D maps, I think, or not just 3D, they're animated 3D maps with sound included uh, Mm -hmm. from folks like Animated Dungeon Maps and Dynamic Dungeons, which you can both find on Patreon, uh, But and uh, Map Guffin, another favorite of mine. uh, But those are fantastic for really bringing a scene to life. Uh, And then the music choices, I think there's a lot of opportunity there in VTT that isn't there in in in-person games. Like in in in-person games, you can do a lot with your soundtrack, but it's harder to manage. Like I wish I, I want a DJ for my home games and I have like, like I've legit considered hiring somebody just to like manage (laughs) sound during a, like, cause it, it just would be such a relief though. You like, they have to know the beats of the story and be able to sense it and stuff like that. It'd be almost like being a Foley artist, but, uh, but yeah, like, it's I think high. this is just a side job you give to the bard in the party. Oh, right? Like right. they have to to keep up, you know. Yeah, that, that <laughs> used to be my job. Like in one of the groups I was in, like I really? managed the the. So our friend Becky had this badass baller fifteen disc 
CD player, because back in the day, we didn't have MP3s or anything. You had a physical medium for music. And so I would sit there with the remote and I'd load up all the discs and I'd memorized all of the play, like all the, uh, the playlists for each of the albums we had in there. And so I would queue up the music by like switching discs and tracks as needed, but it took work. You know, I was a player in the game and having like, and was able to do that. And that's one of the things I like about VTT, like uh, talking about that space that you have as a DM, like, I can I can spend that time like while the players are talking or figuring something out or whatever, like messing with the playlist real quickly. And it's way easier than doing that on my phone. I think if I had a laptop behind the DM screen, that might it might be easier to handle like music and playlist stuff. But I, I've still found it's also a pain. Yeah. Yeah. Like I found in VTT, it's way easier yeah. to manage that on the fly. And, you know, and I do plan out my soundtracks too. Like that's a big part of every session planning is like, if I think there's going to be an impactful like story moment or just a big moment for the party, I will figure out like my notes will be very sparse, maybe like a couple, a sentence or two, maybe a couple that describes the encounter and who's there. And then the big thing is like, what is the soundtrack for that encounter? That was something really fun that you asked us for this week because I'm, I'm getting ready for for your friday game and you asked all of us to share like our like our mood from our character's perspective in song selections and i think everybody just like nerded out hard on that they oh. were all like yes please ask me this question many times oh yeah right and and i think that uh so there's a quick tip for the for the folks at home <laughs> Ask your players to give you song selections about their characters, and I think you'll get a lot. And oh and yeah, that can be really fun. Yeah, so I, I'm as a DM, I'm terrible about giving out insp- inspiration. Like that's part of the grognard in me. It just wasn't a thing for games yeah, when I grew sure. up. Like <laughs> there's hero points and inspiration now in games, but I I just I forget. I just forget. So I used to just give it out at the start of every session. Um, but now I, I like a lot more doing the uh, asking people like for in this case, I said, Hey, give me three songs that speak to your character's current state of mind uh, or where they're at. Mm-hmm. And you get an inspiration point. And of course, everyone, I knew that was going to send people down a rabbit hole. That's exactly what I wanted. I think it's everybody engaged and excited for the upcoming session. And I knew this was the time to do it because the last session had been really like emotionally intense and the party had just gotten, got out of the domains of dread, uh, not Ravenloft. There's other domains. Domains of Dread out there, people. Uh, Falkovnia, which is Vlad the Impaler's authoritarian fascist zombie apocalypse state. It's awesome. From a DM perspective, it was terrible <laughs> for everybody in the party. Just uh, emotionally crippling. Um, yes. And also physically crippling yes. in many cases. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. That was, uh, uh, that was a very, very intense uh, set of combat. One of the great things, too, DMs, remember to use the vision uh, and obscurement rules. There's not a lot of them in 5e. It's pretty simple. But uh, you will be surprised how uh, uh, scary your opponents will become when the party can't see them coming because their vision is limited to not more than, like, say, 15 feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and I think those are a lot of rules that we gloss over. And uh, to to that end, you know, one thing that you've kind of gotten me in the habit of doing is kind of going, OK, what is my page of the day from like one of these books, mm-hmm. like particularly the Dungeon Master's Guide? But like, 
even even the players or Xanathars or whatever, you know, I I go, what am I going to what am I going to read about today? What's going to stick out to me? So the last thing I that I really read over was blessings. Yeah, uh, I'm doing I'm doing a Theros game. And even even the book for Theros is like, hey, remember to check out blessings in the DMG. And I'm like, good idea. And so I, I guess my that's my long wind up for what is like sort of the page of the week for you or the chapter of the day. You know, what's uh, what's on your mind? Oh, man. Well, I've been looking through a lot of things, but I one thing I was thinking about in particular is combat. Uh, I love combat in D&D, and uh, I, I'm always looking for ways to improve it and make it more exciting. It was something that I was bringing up on the Inspiration Point Discord, which I encourage all of our listeners to check out and join yes, or please. participate in. Uh, it's very active. Sometimes people other than me talking it even. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, we appreciate you. We really appreciate you for that. Uh, you know, because we, we're both like working and then like we like stare at it. We're like, Ugh. yeah, but if spike says something interesting it's helpful yeah well and you know i'm i work from home uh and so and i'm on yeah. the computer for my work too and i'm very kind of manic when i'm working so it's i kind of have to have that outlet to it's like okay i got an idea or something like that and then you know while i'm waiting for something to download or you know compile or something like that but yeah so what's the part of combat that's like kind of caught your interest well, a few things. So uh, I am always looking for ways to make combat more exciting and cinematic because uh, it, it's it's a huge part of the game and it's a huge mm-hmm. part yeah. of like fantasy and sci-fi media too. Like ultimately, like e- even our science heroes, even even Captain Picard uh, was an action hero in the movies. Uh, and, and we saw that too, like in, in TNG a few times as well. But, it, you know, like it, we, we've always... It's a, it's a huge part of it. You know, action is a part of most fantasy and sci-fi genres. It's a big part of like why we all enjoy it. Certainly we all enjoy role-playing and uh, the interactions and exploring these fantasy worlds too. But frankly, like that doesn't need a rule set really other than for like long-term stuff, like downtime stuff, which is a whole other rabbit hole. I'm happy to go down, but not going to do right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> I love downtime, but combat uh, there's a lot of great options that flesh it out. And I think it is one of the areas where if you're just interacting with DD at a surface level, uh, it's not as engaging. It's kind of cool mm. at first. And for people who have really only experienced the video game experience, I think they can sometimes be okay with it because they don't really know that it can be anything more than just like, Oh, I hit and I did numbers of damage. You know, maybe there's these extra effects. Um, but, you know, you, you want to think about combat in terms of being creative and like what speaks to my character and expresses like how they might try to accomplish their, their goals in this scene or their relationships with the other characters. Or if there's like a nemesis or something like that involved uh, and, you know, looking at it as being another avenue for expressing your character and who they are, uh, not just looking at it as did yes, I hit or miss 100%. and you know, did I do damage or not? It's easy to fall into that rut. So the combat options that are in the DMG is one great way to start like adding more to that. Uh, I'm a big fan of using those. Uh, Since I started playing 5e, I've used a lot of these. I'm not as big a fan of the initiative options. Um, 
like doing special like speed factor initiative modifiers uh, where like what you're using or wearing or trying to do in your turn affects your initiative role. Uh, that is a, a relic from second edition and earlier. It's just a lot of extra math and it doesn't really add anything to the game. It, it, it makes someone out there happy. They're like, hey, I, rem- I remember that. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's for them. And if you want to <laughs> use it, great. But my experience with it, like I don't generally recommend it because it's just extra sure. math that doesn't enhance the enjoyment of the game for most people. Uh, they also have an option for doing side initiative where you're essentially just rolling a D20 for the PCs and then the bad guys. And then it's just the higher roll goes first. <laughs> Um, that can make, yeah, I think initiative by itself is pretty much fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they need to break it. Yeah. Though I have like, I, I play the star or I run the star Wars fantasy flight system, this base that uses the fantasy flights Genesis system. And in that one, the players roll, like everyone rolls for initiative, but then the players yeah. decide who takes each of their initiative slots. So it's like, basically yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. And I think that's, that can be cool in some cases. And that helps with like the flow of combat and it narratively like, so that can be an option there. Um, moving past initiative action options. So climb onto a bigger creature. I've almost memorized this completely because it comes up in my games so often. And I mean, it's That's very so, strange. it's so cinematic. <laughs> no, Cause like, you know, what happens every time the party fights a dragon? Someone tries to jump on it. Like, yes, true. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Absolutely. any kind of giant monster. There's always one player who's like, can I jump onto it? And that's awesome. Like, yes, of course I want to say yes to that. Of course. But like the rule set, the bait, like grappling doesn't really do justice to that. So it is basically grappling. Like most of the optional combat options get down to you make a strength athletics check. They make an athletics or an acrobatics check. And then you either succeed or, you know, don't. But uh, climbing onto a bigger creature, it's the same thing. They have to be uh, like two sizes larger than you. But if it's huge or gargantuan, then you can climb onto it. You don't actually grapple them. They don't lose their movement or anything like that. But you get to attack them with advantage and you're moving with them. And if, and like the DM adjudicates whether like which of their attacks they can try to reach you with, if any. So, so that's come up a lot and that's epic and it's awesome. And it makes it like more, like it makes any game more fun. Um, and ultimately though, I think that is a good approach to take the combat is just asking people what they want to do and trying to get away from just like looking at the character sheet as like attack buttons or hotkeys, right? Like in an RPG. And instead think in terms of like, not just like, Oh, I want to hit him with my rapier, but be like, I want to like jump up, grab the chandelier that was hanging above, swing across the room and then kick him with my boot. You know, even though that might not like game mechanically do the damage they're doing a rapier should, that's awesome and cinematic, and I want to treat it that way. Um, and you can adjudicate a lot of this stuff because, like I said, most of these rules get down to a strength athletics or sometimes a dexterity acrobatics check contested by either athletics or dexterity or acrobatics by the target, usually their choice. And that's a great just shorthand to use for almost any kind of like combat maneuver people want to try and do. You don't want to let people perfectly mimic what the 
uh, Battlemaster fighters do because those are class exclusive abilities. So you don't want to like rob them of their special shtick. But at the same time, almost all of those, like, you know, it's not just knock a creature prone. It's, oh, you hit them and you do damage and you get, now you get to knock them prone and you get to do this extra damage. So letting someone just do like a shove and trip somebody is not going to be stealing the thunder of your Battlemaster, but it'll make combat a lot more fun. And, you know, if you need to like figure out how much damage something does, look at whatever that character standard attack is and just say it does that, but you know, make it bludgeoning damage or whatever the case may be. And you can roll that behind the screen too, yeah. so that they, because like the less that it's quantified for them, I think maybe the more satisfied they're going to be as long as they know that they got something. And I, I think that that there, there's something to that. Yeah. So it, 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 it strikes me that. You said you, you forget often to add inspiration points, but it seems like in a small way, as long as players are willing to interact with you in, and like pay attention to the environment and sort of display that story comprehension, you're rewarding them constantly throughout. So in a way, you actually are awarding inspiration points almost all the time. It's just not necessarily in the form of rerolling a D20. I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that is one way of looking at it. Um, the, you know, that does get into something that I think helps a lot with, with combat specifically, but in the game in general, uh, is you want to make sure to connect the actions of, you know, one character, like the actions of one character's turn and how those actions flow into the next one. Mm. And so that's something that I don't, I don't remember where I originally saw it. I, mean, I know I've read it in like your best game ever by Monty Cook and some other places, but it, it's, you just get into that habit as a reflex as a DM and it makes combats a lot more fun as a player too. Like it can, it's a way to make what you do more interesting. If you build off of what the, whether it's a fellow player or an enemy or an NPC or whatever that went before you build off of what they did in describing your action. So I do that a lot. And I also don't like to, I don't like to believe in just like absolute failure Unless I mean, it happens, you roll really low or sometimes it's funny or whatever. Like, obviously, people fail at things. But a lot of times, like, I will describe misses Something. as, like, yeah. connecting and but not like getting through their armor or their hide or their defenses or something like that. And then, uh, it, you know, so giving that sense of like, oh, you were close or there's some kind of, you know accomplishment there and then when i'm describing the next player's action and say they hit i'll be like oh well you know while that previous blow from adam's character didn't manage to connect it pushed the enemy right into the path of your blow setting it up for this you know hit right here and so it creates this frankly this illusion but like or rather yeah it's not really it's not i shouldn't say illusion but it's a meaningful illusion yeah i mean i i totally get what you're saying yeah because it is it's it, it's yeah, in terms of the numbers, it's an illusion. But in terms of what it feels to a player, that is very real. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, what we are doing as GMs is uh, yeah. like we are not called referees. And that is for a very specific reason, because it used to be there were referees. And that was for, you know, very specific ways of playing the game and scoring it. Uh, but we're not called referees because it's where it's our job, not just to adjudicate the rules, but to interpret the results of the die rolls, you know, and that's why page yes. 242 of the dungeon master's guide is there talking about, you know, tiered 
failure, tiered success, or succeeding at a cost, you know, where someone can, you know, if someone just barely misses the target number for something, let them succeed, but at a cost, you manage to dodge that, like, it's like you missed the fireball saved by one. Well, you succeeded, but you're going to start your next turn prone. You know, that's like a simple succeeding at a cost and, you know, and a way to make it so it's not just this binary, you succeed or fail. It makes everything feel more real and the like seems more, there's more uh, of a narrative that comes from that. And that's what we're doing as DMs is we are interpreting these math rocks and then telling like what that is like, okay, that translates into this is what happens in the story. Um, you know, but oh, let me, let me, let me interrupt. Yeah, yeah, quick yeah. Cause I, I, you know, we have limited time, but I want to do the main, one of the main questions I wanted to hit you with tonight. And, and maybe you've touched on it a little bit with this and, and talking about combat and, and partial success and that sort of thing, or a success at a cost, but like what have been since the last time we talked, you know, what have been some of the biggest epiphanies or lessons that have struck you between between then and now? What would you say? Uh, oh. I, guess, I guess the TLDR is uh, trust the players more. Um, I don't mm. I don't do that a lot. It, it's well, you don't. Well, sometimes that. we let you down, right? <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. And we both had that experience. And yes, uh, you know, and it's frustrating and that gets into like, you have to learn to own your experience. Yes. You know, and your experience is your experience and it's not other people's experience and you can't begrudge them their experience. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, like I, I definitely have, uh, I guess learned to put a little more trust in the players and give them more of that freedom to, as I <laughs> sometimes like to call it faff about, um, <laughs> that's, that's right i think there's a difference though like you know giving the players agency and autonomy versus okay let's talk about how we set up the camp for 10 minutes for some reason right like (laughs) don't understand that right yeah there's definitely there's times when you need to step in and you need to like give them a boot (laughs) yeah like please 100 percent uh you know that's part of your job as the dm but also it's you do need to give them some freedom. You need to give them that chance to like, and I, I know that there have been times I get too focused on making the story happen rather than just letting it happen. And you have to be Mm -hmm. comfortable with like cutting stuff out if you need to and realizing what's important because ultimately like your players aren't going to know the stuff that they missed. And 90% 90% of the time when you're beating yourself up as a DM feeling like crap, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I missed this thing. I didn't say I didn't do this, the present this thing the way I wanted to. That bad guy didn't end up being the threat I wanted them to be. Your players yes. had an awesome time and I think you're a great DM. We're like, Oh my God, this is so awesome. And um, yeah. So, you know, just like kind of being loose yeah, with that. It's true. So it, it's still, and it's different too when you're doing one shots versus uh, uh, doing ongoing campaigns. Doing more one shots, I, lo- I had to learn that and get comfortable with that because it got down to just like letting people have a good time. A lot of times, doing a beer and pretzel style of D and D, and then just you know keeping it simple. Like what I do every time now, like I I don't work out some giant plot or whatever. I have a 
building a piece of building terrain that's cool, that's an abandoned church that people like. I have a bunch of goblin minis, and then I a, a bunch of pre-made characters, and I just come up with like you're in the village of you know wherever town, and uh, you know goblins have taken the local priest captive, and someone comes in looking for help, and you have volunteered to do it, and just you know, and then just let them do whatever. Uh, and then fight some goblins and just make sure they're fighting goblins by the last hour. And uh, yeah, it's, they have a great time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no reason that you need to, to craft, you know, Oedipus every time you yeah. get together. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes it, it can be really simple because that story, which is something that I've, I've tried to, to learn. Cause I, I have a similar epiphany of about like letting go. Right. And uh, and relinquishing that control and just letting the the player actions create natural ripples that cause an effect. And then in in that way, they tell you the story and you have a lot more fun Mm -hmm. as a result, because it's like you're sitting down with five GMs, you know, and they're all they're all working for you. And I think that that's a sign of, of, of when it's being done right. Uh, I've also had this thing, you know, to kind of go along with yeah. what you said, where I have the big epic moment in my mind. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm driving in my car and I'm listening to music and the music hits just so. And you see that scene in your mind play out. Right. Mm-hmm. And you see the faces of your players are all like crying because it's so great. And then you get into the game and you're starting to set up in that direction and then they go, well, I pick B and they're like, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, <laughs> I wish you didn't do that because now we're not going to get my scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that happens. And that's it's kind of like I was already going to say and this touches on even more. Yeah. It depends on your players, too. Like, sure. I think a loose style works a lot for most people, but it's there are times with the right group of people where that juice is worth the Mm. squeeze, where the work that you put in will be matched by what your players give back. And not every player is like that. Like everyone has their kind of like threshold for the level of like investment that they're willing to put into their gaming experience. And that's fine. Like wherever your level is, that's fine. Some people are on a journey. Some people are just, perfectly happy to cruise along at the same spot and whatever the case is that's great but when you know i like to push that level as much as possible you know to get the most out of this experience maximum investment for maximum reward that's not always going to happen with like if i don't have a dm that's like that if i don't have a group of players that's like that then i'm not going to get that same return and you know, if I put in that extra work, I have to own that and accept that and say, like, I'm doing this for me. And sometimes for those big scenes, like, that's what I have to say is like, well, if the players don't respond to this, then this is like, this scene is for me. And I'm not going to feel like this work is wasted because I, you know, got this experience out of the scene or this, you know, whatever perspective or though it is still disappointing. I went through this recently, you know, this (laughs) uh, in our, one of, in, in one of the games I run that you're in. And, it was very disappointing because it was supposed to be this big epic scene of, uh, you know, supposed to be very emotionally intense. And the player involved, like, chose not to engage and just kind of like literally <laughs> yes, was just yeah. like literally turned their back on the whole thing. It was like, nope. And uh, and I was like, oh, OK. And so uh, I'm it- sure glad I went to all the trouble and 
you know, put myself out there for it to not be returned. Right. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But that sucks, you know, but it is like, that's on me, you know? And then ultimately like I had to accept just like you do with almost all, like every DM has to do with all other games that some of the players are not like that. You're going to reach that threshold and you need to not, you know, be upset when uh, uh, they're not able to give back what you're trying to put in. It's still like, I say that, it was still upsetting. It was still frustrating. I should say it was still like, oh, frustrating. For sure. was like, I, oh. I felt for you. <laughs> um, I was, I was feeling for you in that moment. Yeah. I was like, yep, yep, I, and, yep. I get and it. I've been the, on the other end of that, like in your storm Kings thunder game, you know, I, I, I am the problem player. I am the one that like, it's not in that, like I'm trying <laughs> to make trouble, but y- you know, <laughs> I look at the spells that my Druid has access to in that game. And I do not think in purely like, well, what can I do to do the most damage? Like in a round, like sure, it's, yeah. it's stuff that literally is like, Oh, well, you know, if I use this in a clever way, I could just completely negate this combat or this encounter or something <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, well, why wouldn't I do this? Like it, it's which at, which at 10 o'clock at night, please cast that spell because i'm trying to wrap up right? <laughs> right yeah yeah but but i know like it, because i go outside the box with the spells and just really try to get the most use out of yeah. them and i'm always i'm always finding new spells i'm like oh i'm gonna try this one this week you know uh and like what can i do with this one uh it, like that is something that can you know the, the fight with Imrith. I was very prepared and I had a lot of contingencies and went into that fight like with a plan and it worked and it wasn't like perfect, but it allowed us to just make Imrith like not the threat that obviously she was meant to be. And also like I was the only one in that group that had any any kind of like real personal connection to her and seeing her go down. And even then I was kind of pushing it because like, I was like, I have to do this to like in revenge for my fiance. And then he like literally walked out from like behind a, you know, a storm giant like, Oh, Hey, I'm still alive. And I was like, Oh, well still, I need to avenge him. (laughs) (laughs) I I kind of regretted that like halfway through. I, I was like, Oh boy. But, that's okay you know you gotta just you know run with the decisions that you made and to be fair the book even has like a thing codified into that fight where if you just do the simple thing that anyone can do then she gets out of her layer and then it's like 10 times easier uh-huh. and and because the layer actions are the thing that are particularly dangerous oh, yeah. about her um but anyway not to spoil all of storm king's thunder here but um no, it's, it's, it it's fine they uh, spoiled it when they wrote it uh <laughs> I, I do i do have that's true i do have a sort of great culmination of all the various plot threads because essentially we've we've continued into doing like storm king's thunder dlc uh-huh. which you, you guys have affectionately called it and uh we're, we're we're expanding on the story and so it's starting to become more personal and I'm trying to get you guys a little bit more connected. And there's, there's, it's mostly been good, I think, uh, with a couple of hiccups. And I, and I do have that big moment where the, the, there is something that solves all of your problems in essentially one stroke. And I, and I hope to do it, but I can already tell I'm setting myself up <laughs> a little bit. Well, you know, or, or am I going to deliver that? that information clearly maybe i just need to straight up tell one of you and let you be the mole as you as you uh you know talked about earlier so maybe that's the play but uh real quick i wanted to ask you something 
Um, I wrote down a, a, a silly quote that I thought of while getting ready for this episode, and I'm just going to read it and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. Okay. Sure. And, and why? Okay. So, cause I'm a teacher, so I always have to ask and why, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, maybe it's not about uniting the party, but about finding players who are united. Your thoughts. Uh, that was a curveball. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think, I, I mean, if I'm going to interpret that, uh, I think, yeah, that's, I think so, that's saying that, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not your g- job as the DM to, uh, to unite the group. Like you, the, the players need to be putting in that work to try yeah. and work as a unit. They need to have an awareness of like, I, you know, everyone loves, there is always, I shouldn't say everyone. Some people like to play the edge lord or the anti-hero or whatever. And you know, you look at like Wolverine as a great example of that. But the thing about Wolverine That's is right. that they always found like he always had a reason to that he provided like he always had a reason, like a motivation or a belief or something to stay with the X-Men and to help them and to care about them. And you know, was on a journey of getting like building relationships with them. And uh, you need players that are willing to do that work. The expectation shouldn't be that you as the DM are going to do all of that lifting to make unity for the group. They all need to be trying to act unified, you know, to, to work well as a group. Uh, and you need players that are willing to do that. Cause some just aren't, you know, or some like that's, that level that's beyond their threshold of engagement because that's a certain level of like intimacy or engagement with the other players that they're just not looking for or comfortable with. Yeah. I want a table where every single member of that table is like calling on each other to do things and are emotionally invested in the success of each other. And they're like aware of each other in a metagame sense, but also put that into the narrative of their characters to be, invested in one another. Right. You know, and I like, to me, that's the dream. That's, that's what I want. And I've, we, we've talked about some of these gimmicks to, to create a united party, but if your players themselves are not united, then no matter what gimmick you use, I'm not sure if it works. And that's something that I had to take ownership of um, a few years ago when I really started to, try and get more into gaming again after I had been gaming, but not a lot. And then my one group was kind of like drying up. And so I needed to like find more players. And I was also just like, I had all these games and supplements and everything that like I wanted to do. And I had this one group of guys I've been playing with for years that I didn't get to like do all this other stuff with. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to start recruiting people. I put up flyers around town. That's how I met one of my players. Wow. Like with like, I had players with a QR, QR code that led to a uh, questionnaire. I had all my potential players take, um, and you know, and I screened and I looked for people that I thought were going to be really like invested in the game, and you know, for the most part, it paid off. Um, actually, I gotta say, like the people that I like just recruited blindly through the questionnaire are some of the best players that I have. Um, oh wow! Yeah, like <laughs> not trying to throw anyone under under the bus, but a lot of times it's been like friends who are gamers who kind of like talk a big game about like what they want out of like a D and D, like wanting all this extra stuff, and then I'm like, okay, here you go, like 
you're in my game. We're going to go all in like you're talking about. And then they're just like, uh, I, I will, I attack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to ask you another question because we're running out of time. Sure. And so this is, this is more from the player perspective. So lightning around. Okay. Here's another dumb quote I thought of earlier. You'd let me know. Dexterity is the best ability when dealing with new GMs. Wisdom for experienced. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Though I, I think charisma is in the running there too. Um, mm. okay. Yeah, for experience or for new. Uh, both, but especially well. Yeah, I, I would say both um, because. Okay. A, a new GM is more likely to get let you get away with murder, literally, in some cases, if you just get like a natural 20 or a really high skill check. That's and true. there's a lot of people who yeah. interpret the social skills as being like, oh, it's it's charm person. It's magic. Like, <laughs> and that's not the case. Uh, you tell the ogre, I'm not here. Roll K, roll deception. Yeah, there's 20. You disappear in front of his eyes. Right? Yeah. There's actually a whole great set of rules for social <laughs> encounters and how to adjudicate them in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Turns out they thought of this what? and included a section on it. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's. Uh, but I think for experienced DMs, like absolutely wisdom, because that's the character who's going yeah. to make all of the saves against the fun spells, like the mind control ones and stuff like that. And they're going to notice everything. Well, and also just the perception skill right. is just like, do we even do we as a community even yet fully comprehend how important the perception skill is? <laughs> you know, I just wonder. Well, and that gets down to um, how you like as a DM, yeah. you need to get into the habit of using all the skills, not just like perception in a handful of others. You know, you need to mm-hmm. have like be able to know like and they have this in tasha's thankfully now they told us like if you want if a player wants to know more about a monster they're rolling these skills you know look through the skill list and figure out what they're used for because perception is for a lot of things sure but noticing things and then figuring out what that means uh can usually be another skill check so it can be you notice something unusual about this but you need to make an investigate check or an arcana check or a nature check to actually be able to interpret what it is that you see yeah. um you know and just get it, it just it's a muscle it's a reflex that you build up so okay another another uh lightning round question for you um what are some of the campaigns or stories or themes that you still need to run. Ugh. You 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 desire to run these. Like, give me like the top three. Like, here's what I need to do. Oh my god, top three. I can't. <laughs> I can't even. Like, okay, top twenty five. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll tell you what I've been like, kind of thinking about a bunch lately. Like, so I need to do something cyberpunk. Yeah. I was running a Carbon Twenty One Eighty Five sure. game for a while. I ended it. Uh, number of reasons and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. But uh, sure. Yeah. Also. Not a huge fan of that system after using it for a while. It's fine, okay. but there's better. There's systems I like more. Uh, but anyway, I really want to do something cyberpunk. That I think to really get the most out of it, you do need like highly engaged players, players who are willing to put in mm-hmm. a lot. Um, because you don't just want people who are going to do the role play or the combat. Like you need people who are going to really actively participate in trying to do world building through their character and how they describe what yes. they do and stuff. Um, Low Life 2090 is a game system I've been looking at a lot and like really 
um, very close to just recruiting some ra- whoever I can find online some night just to run a one shot because I'm really enamored with the system and how it works. It's a kind of D20 OSR inspired, uh, well, kind of melding of OSR and 5e uh, inspired system that is, you know, uh, fantasy meets cyberpunk a la Shadowrun, but frankly with a better game system and one that's like easier to do. You can make a character for this game in literally two minutes. So it's very pulpy. I really want to run uh, a real like Planescape game sometime. Uh, that's okay. that's another one where I think I need just high like investment like players, like all of them for that. Because again, that is a very like heady intellectual like type of setting in game. What what what's your low capacity player for? Like, what's that game? that you need to run or do you, do you have it anymore? Uh, is it gone? Well, you know, so I do and I don't like, I want to do some <laughs> of that stuff. Like for a while I was working on a five E adaptation of Diablo two. Um, and okay. that would be a lot right, of fun. And I'd really like to do that sometime. Um, but for that to stay fun too, like I, I would rather do that with kind of like a group of players that I'm normally doing, like kind of, intent emotionally intense or high investment games with as kind of a break from that because i just don't have the time anymore to like i spent it's like a like a palette glenzer game kind of yeah yeah like i mean i spent i spent yeah. a lot of my time I, I spent a lot of time in my life playing in games that were not satisfying or that didn't you know for whatever reason didn't kind of uh, uh sat, give me that sense of accomplishment completeness whatever that I was looking for from it because, you know, what I was looking for was more than what the game was able to offer. And I started DMing because I was like, well, if I want that type of game, I'm going to have to run it. and I'm going to have to teach people how these type of games work because I realized there's not a lot of them, which means that nobody knows how to do this. And so, you know, good GMing is something like that type of level of not just good GMing, but that highly invested GMing and game type is something that is just not that common. And so I, you know, now I'm older, you know, and I'm always getting older. I want to, and I have the option, thanks to the wonder of the internet to choose who I play with. So I'm trying whenever possible to play with people who are looking for the same type of game experience that I am, because I can find plenty of people who are looking for less than what I'm looking for. And that's okay. But you know, I, but it's not for you. Yeah. It's not what you want. Yeah. Okay. So last, well, I, I want to oh, know what are, you, what are some of your settings that you want to do or the oh. campaigns? Like, you know, you, you tell me here, man, Thank like, you. well, you know that I, that I'm working on a setting that you and I are kind of collaborating on. And so, uh, that's basically, you know, samurai orcs mm-hmm. and that is what I want to do. And I, I'm trying to push it to be a little bit more high fantasy, uh, a little bit more whimsical while also having that sort of Kurosawa feel, uh, feel to it. Um, and so that's something I'm thinking about. I I'm doing a lot with Theros. Theros has kind of become my palate cleanser mm-hmm. game in, in a way. And I've enjoyed it. I've been going back to just doing experience points and um, letting players kind of get away with a little bit more in terms of shenanigans and uh and sort of creative thoughts because the gods are ever present and everything there is is crazy mm-hmm. and has a lot of like you know the, like the nix isn't like everything right so 
that there's a lot of stuff there. Um, I'm waiting for my copy of Heliana's oh, <laughs> guide to like, yes. hunting and crafting. I, I'm probably going to build a whole game around it, you know, oh, so yeah. basically Monster Hunter, but D&D. So I want to do that because I love the idea of crafting monsters into armor. Um, I I do want to eventually rework my homebrew campaign world and make it a little bit tighter, a little bit less derivative where it like borrows sort of randomly from other settings and it's a little bit more of its own thing. Uh, just kind of, just kind of clean it if you will. And maybe, maybe run with it again or turn it into a book or something. My characters could facilitate that. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm <laughs> quite aware. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and the, the, my secret thing that I've been wanting to do, cause I, everything I, I just mentioned up till that point has been a D and D. I I have had this custom system and that I've kind of poked at over the last couple of years. And I, li- <laughs> this is, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. I really want to run like a 1980s sword fighting game. It's about Highlander. It's literally, it's literally Highlander cutting each other's heads off, getting quickenings, playing eighties rock music. That is what I want to do. Uh, that's my other just rewatched that. Like I think three days ago, <laughs> I, it may have been Rachel, my wife's first time watching it. Uh, that movie is not good, but also amazing. <laughs> exactly. Like the, the rules of the world are so bizarre and kind of dumb, but also super awesome right? at the same time. Like it's just fun. Right. And uh, so, and it has this, the movies take themselves so seriously. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and I kind of like need everyone at the table to like totally play into it while also winking at each other, you know, and like to kind of get that. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. Well, and about. there's, there's good systems for that type of thing too. I mean, it does kind of get to what I talk about with like combat and ways to, you know, make it more entertaining or fun. And that ought to be a whole other conversation sometime because I have some ideas yeah. for like new things to do to like simplify combat or to make it more cinematic. But uh, speaking to like games I want to run, like one of the game systems that I have, I am in love with and I really want to do something. I want to run something for is thirsty sword lesbians from evil hat productions. <laughs> it's uses the powered by the apocalypse RPG system, which is very narrative and it's very much based off of like, you have a character cool. book, the stat and like skill system is very simple. And then you just have a bunch of moves, which are very kind of broad descriptions of like the types of things that you do beyond just basic things like, Oh, I'm going to grab this or eat this or whatever. But, you know, like fighting, you know, I'm going to fight like that's just a move that you do. And then you describe how it works. And, you know, there's a way of adjudicating like, oh, OK, it does this extra effect because you're talking about throwing them into a fire or something like that. But it's a very like fun cinematic system. Uh, it's made to and Thirsty Sword Lesbians is meant to speak to shows like She-Ra and Steven Universe right. uh, and Masters of the Universe and, you know, all of that. Uh, so, uh, uh, there's even one of them. It's like, you know, uh, uh, like the, the queer, like the queer, uh, masters of castle gay skull or something like that is one of the like short, like little <laughs> settings that they have in there. Uh, it, it is fantastic right, and obviously yeah. super you know, like inclusive and about just, yeah, 
people of all types. Uh, okay, but low key, I just had this idea of like running that for people that aren't interested in inclusivity, just to just to like see the insanity of it, right? Like uh-huh. it was just the the irony, like just watch uh, a comedy ensue. By the way, I I, I um, had a lesson today in class I needed to tell you about later, so that you're proud of me. <laughs> Um, without making the, uh, without making the podcast too political. Ah. Um, but, uh, that, that'll be just for you. Uh, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, about it was, um, on the other side, you know, what are some of the characters, um, like top three characters you, you hope to still oh, play? Oh man. Like that's honestly not something I think about. Um, I, you know, I sometimes yeah. have ideas for characters, but these days I've been damning for so long. I usually think of them in terms of like someone I can incorporate into the game. Uh, mm. Until I am making a character for a game, I, I really like. I don't have a stable of them that I'm waiting to like play or try out, or that I'm conceptualizing. Like I, I did when I was mm. younger, but it's just not uh, a thing I do now. Um, <laughs> do you feel like you're like setting yourself? up for disappointment like if i think about this guy i'm not never going to get to play him and then i'm gonna be sad I mean, that, that is part of it yeah and i had a lot of characters yeah. that i like when i did get to play them like the the games were not offering what i was looking to get out of playing that character and so it just ended up being disappointing so i was like oh i have all this cool backstory stuff that i worked out with the dm but it turns out he's just not going to use any of it because you know he just wants to run this you know railroad adventure he already had planned or whatever you know it's um so yeah and then like i've been dming for a long time so and uh so i just don't think in those terms because uh if i'm excited about a character i will find a way or something i want to explore my first instinct now is to think about how can i explore this with an npc uh how can i explore this in the right. game because then it's guaranteed yeah yeah it's so you know i do want to try and just play the like hey i'm a hero and i do the right thing because it's the right thing to do like the the star trek starfleet captain i want i do want to do that again i tend to shy away from that it's fun because i have yeah i have a big personality and so i feel like i worry about dominating the group or you know telling like you know, deciding everything's going to be done because I do always have an idea or an opinion on what to do. I think about the game a lot. I play it a lot. So what, whatever situation comes right. up, like I always know, like, well, this is how my character would respond to this or how they would deal with the situation. And so I always have that answer when other people might still be thinking about it. And then, you know, that tends to lead to that. I'm always the one that's saying, Oh, well, we're going to do this. So, um, I want to play a character who is meant to step into that role because I find that like if somebody doesn't actively like build a character or present themselves as like, hey, just like wink wink, so we all understand like I am playing the leader character. Uh you know, I want to do that. So I, I guess you know, I guess there's that. Like that's I I've kind of thought about that, but that's not a particular character. There's a lot of different ways I would do that. Um Yeah, that could be a lot of classes and, and builds and that sort of thing. To- Cause I mean, a lot of that's also just up to you, yeah. right? Like you, you as a player and how you interact with the I, table. I do want to play a highly like martially proficient character. Again, it's been a while since I've done that. I've been doing a lot of kind of Jack of all trades or skilled characters. Um, and you know, whatever genre, you know, there's games like, uh, other games I've really been thinking about and want to like play or run are like Starfinder and the expanse, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. shadow of the beanstalk, uh, and 
Pathfinder, Pathfinder Two, I should say, and or I said Starfinder, but yeah, Pathfinder Two also. Like, I really would like to, you know, try out these other systems and try out other ways of like combat and get to try other ways of expressing characters. Plus, different systems provide different ways to express your characters, and so you'll find that they can you can make certain characters in one system but they just don't really translate to another my 3.5 character that i have right now in a forgotten realms game i can't rebuild him in the same way in fifth edition i can make a similar character on paper but as far as like both mechanical effectiveness and just like the things that that character does and is good at i can't make the same character the systems just don't allow for that gotcha gotcha uh man one system neither of us mentioned, but I am interested in, in trying out either as a GM or, or as a player is also a bounty hunter. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. With, uh, you know, guys game. Yeah. And I, I think that is something I'm definitely interested in, in trying out because it's diceless. Like I, I'm imagining myself like on a long road exactly. trip with, with, with my kids and I'm just driving and running a game from them in my head and like, just like telling them what's going on and we don't roll anything. I think, I think that'd be, yeah, neat. just like, I mean, that's literally what my friends and I were doing. When we were like 12 and 13 and stuff and just like doing it with action figures yeah. and just making up a story. And uh, yeah, guy, guy Sklanders is how to be a great game master. His bounty hunter system is fantastic. He's working on a yeah. fantasy system, which should be out later this year or have a Kickstarter coming up later this year, but super awesome. I definitely recommend people to check that out. That is on my list too one of the ones I want to play. And also the Avatar RPG. It is still in Kickstarter right now. Um, I love the Avatar and Korra series, and uh, I feel like that type of play, that type of, those type of characters are not done justice in like 5e D&D, for instance, or even in... What? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like Four Elements Monk is, is you- one of the subclasses that they just did not stick the landing on. It's like the like objectively bad yeah. and recognized as bad by the whole community. Portion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the Avatar uh, RPG is the most successful like TTRPG ever on Kickstarter. They hit uh, eight million dollars, wow. I think, today. Uh, it's ridiculous. There's so much you get with a pledge with them. Like it was really just going to be like a book and then like a couple of booklets and a bunch of PDFs. And now it's like, everything is going to be in hardcover. Um, uh, and there's all these like extra upgrades. Oh, it's awesome. But that is also using the powered by the apocalypse game system that I was talking about earlier. That's also what is used for, um, thirsty sword lesbians. So, uh, yeah, like it's meant to facilitate. I'm sorry, that title just cracks me up every time. I think that's great. You know, it it just sells itself. Like you don't have to like say anything else about it. You just say, "Hey, here's the name of the game I'm running," and they'll just be like, "Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sitting down. I'm yeah. playing. I'm ready." Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and it is a great <laughs> game too. Like it's is it? Yeah, okay. it's all about like emotional relationships and states of being and stuff like that. Oh yeah, so it's like Steven Universe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> like uh, so introverts yeah, will hate it. Uh, like <laughs> seriously, like if you're not someone who's comfortable with like expressing your character's feelings, then you don't want to play Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Um, but otherwise, it speaking yeah. of which, I I think our next game of D and D in in your in your Friday game is gonna be a lot of <laughs> feelings, a lot yeah. of expressing 
what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, the group has the the group in my my Blood and Thunder game. They um may have been led into participating in war crimes uh yes. against refugees yes. uh as you do. <laughs> like, well, as we'll leave do. it Who we'll leave it vague and nefarious, but like it was not. They were not trying to do bad things, but they were in a bad situation and choices were made and there were consequences and now everyone's having to live with them. And, uh, uh, it, it's definitely been harrowing for everyone. Um, you know, well, the, the, the recent news of, has made me really think about it a lot in a way that I, that I wasn't before. And I've been like, wow. So we could have stayed there for X amount of years and probably never really made that big a difference at massive cost to us, but also pulling out suddenly was also incredibly bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, hmm, what does that remind you right? of? Yeah. It, it was a tough situation and it was one where it was like, you know, there was the option of, uh, yeah. you know, essentially of doing the more potentially more moral thing. Uh, but, that had a like high risk of great cost coming with it. And, you know, and ultimately it was not going to score a mate. Like it was not going to win the war or impact like the outcome. It was just, it would be, you know, a single point of light in that day and that time and that place that did some good for a handful of people potentially at a great cost to all of you. But ultimately it was not going to make the greater world better or whatever. Um, and, and that's a difficult situation to be in and it's hard. And that was obviously, you know, the point that's, it's the domains of dread. It's not meant to be a happy, fun place. The every victory is Pyrrhic, but, um, I'm, I'm going to literally create the opposite. The, the, the domains of happy fun and everything is Pyrrhic. Uh, yeah. Which, I would domain. say that's like the Feywild, but <laughs> definitely not uh, because. But also definitely not the Feywild. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that is something. I think that's what, just what Theros is. I think that's well. <laughs> you know, that can also be. Uh, oh, Magic: The Gathering D and D campaign. I really want to do that. Like, and just touch on all of the settings, all the ones they released through the plane shift yeah, stuff as sure. well, like Ravnica, Ravnica, stuff. Theros, yeah. Ixalan, Dominaria, Ankhotep. Uh, uh, um, Zendikar. They're doing that new one. Yeah, Zendikar. Well, like all of those have already been released, and so. Um, oh, what's what's the new one? The school? Uh, Strixhaven, the Harry Potter, basically. Strixhaven, that's yeah. it. But yeah. um, yeah, like it. It's. I want now that you guys are back. I do want to do a big tone shift, and that was part of my disappointment w- with how that particular moment with a particular player went was that i had planned on that moment being this big cathartic moment not just for the player but for the party where they had this interaction that was going to well also reveal some lore and stuff but was hopefully going to give this like cathartic release and and also end the combat earlier (laughs) before you know people took like 100 hit points more damage uh i know like, oh my so, gosh that was so brutal where it was supposed to be like this big threat that then like got turned around in this moment of like defiance and hope and either like trying to talk the npc down which had a chance of working or just saying like no i'm gonna stand against you or whatever and having this like big moment and instead just turned into this like grueling harrowing like escape with our lives by the skin of our teeth and more hard decisions being made um though there is 
Yeah, we 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 got through it as painfully and and, and inefficiently well, as well, possible. Hey, hey, you didn't leave the orphan girl behind. Uh, so <laughs> this time, <laughs> this time, who I who I fully plan to train and teach her everything I know, with full understanding that one day she will probably grow up and kill me. <laughs> so there. Well, that is. Uh, there is not to give you ideas. No, no, no. I already, I already know <laughs> everything that is going to happen with the young girl, uh, Kalina. And, okay. uh, I cannot say one way or the other, uh, if, if she's sure. like of looking to not. kill you, like, frankly, that's not like those decisions uh, have not been determined yet. Like that's, okay. yeah. So, Sounds but good. I can promise you insight into that by the end of next session all right well i am definitely looking forward to it uh you know it's a it's a good time sharing this hobby with you and uh thank you for coming on the show again and and sharing your thoughts with everybody yeah it was great thanks for having me on here and uh i hope my rambling is useful to some folks please check out the inspiration (laughs) point discord download and like them from places buzzsprout uh itunes i don't know wherever you get your podcast from all, all, the, all things. the things uh also yes. check out how to be a great game master and sly flourish and uh who else have we had on the show aj pickett yeah aj yeah. and uh stay inspired Okay. What? <laughs> so did I steal your thunder there? No, I, I, I love it. I love it. The last thing I'll mention is uh, uh, check out our Patreon, uh, $1, $5, $20. Uh, just even the $1, just join our community. We want to have definitely. You. And yes, with that, yes, indeed. As uh, Spike, the game master says, stay inspired. Cool. <laughs>